Hey, I'm back. I was in Ireland, and was that ever a blast? I got to see so many cool things. In fact, my relatives had me go around to all these Game of Thrones stores. You got to look that up. It was, uh, I thought it was kind of kooky at the beginning, but it turned out to be pretty good. And I will tell you also, Ireland's wet, wet with rain and whiskey. And man, did I have a great time. So I didn't get a chance to record an interview over there, but I gave my producers a heart attack because he realized we had no interview ready to go this week. But I said, look, we've got to go back to one of the best interviews that we've ever done because I'm calm. And I went over to C-Suite TV's Executive Perspectives Live as an episode because I went and grabbed an interview that I did with Sudhir Kohani, who's president and sale of sales at Persistent Systems. And we did one on the role that digital transformation plays in everyday business. What a great episode. So before we get to into that, I want to talk about my friends at Liberty Tax, because starting your own business doesn't have to be a difficult endeavor. Investing in a franchise is a great way to have a rewarding career, financial freedom, and owning your own business. That's why investing in Liberty Tax Service makes perfect sense. They provide a strong support system, ongoing training, marketing support, and national brand awareness. I mean, you know who they are. You see them all the time. Find out more about becoming a franchise at LibertyTaxFranchise.com. Now, a little bit more about Sudhir. Sudhir, as I mentioned, is president of sales at Persistent Systems. I sat down with him in New York City, and we talked about the current state of technology and what companies need to do to have a successful digital transformation. So if you're not there all the way, this guy's one smart cookie, and he talks about some very insightful ideas and themes for you and your business. So here it is, my Executive Perspectives live episode with Sudhir Kuharni, President and Sales of Persistent Systems. We're talking about a big company giving you lots of big ideas as we look at Executive Perspectives live podcast launching in the spring. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. I actually say change, adapt, or die. Is there a lot of that in the way in which we need to look at changing our businesses and, and moving to different types of technologies, ways of doing things? Um, so here's the deal, right? Digital transformation is here to stay. I want to use this uh, line from Star Trek, the Borgs, if you remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so resistance is futile. Right? <laughs> That's the first text that, that, that comes out of the Borg. So, so um, when Mark Andreessen talked about software is eating the world about a few years ago, seven, eight years ago, uh, people thought he was you know, joking or he was trying to promote some you know, next generation Netscape kind of uh, you know, technology. <clears throat> but when you, when you start looking at today's day and age, I believe that software is not just eating the world, but will continue to do so for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. Now, when you hear of a uh, CEO of Domino's Pizza describing his company as a software company and not a pizza company, you've got to sit up and take notice, right? Okay. There's something going on here. When you look at <clears throat> technology like an AlphaGo, for example, from Google's DeepMind, beating a human, Lee Sadol, the reigning champion of the Go game, which is a 19 by 19 board game, and humanly impossible to really fathom all the moves that are possible, but this guy was the champion. And when you see an artificial intelligence program beat him fair and square, four is to one in a game of five games, you've got to sit up and take notice that this technology, this software is here to stay, and it is disrupting not just one, two, 
but almost every single industry. So I kind of believe the fact that, you know, this disruption that you're talking about is here to stay and it'll only keep enhancing and increasing. In today's world, you may decide with the kind of nimble footedness that most of your, you know, Ubers of the world, of your industry, you're always looking over your shoulder to see which Uber is trying to disrupt my steel business, right? right? So you've got to really figure out what exactly are they doing and how are they doing it? So when you look at transformation, it's not about, it's not, it's about nothing else other than the mindset of the C-level, uh, you know, organization to see if the CXO can really think about transforming their business on a continuous basis. Can they not, can they not settle down? There is really no settling down in this kind of an environment. So you'll always have to be all fleet-footed, always think about what's going on next, what technology is coming in, what kind of products are being launched. So you're bringing in the, the, the <clears throat> thought process around the guiding principles. Yes. So it's almost as though you're saying, okay, you get it right, Yes. but once you get it right, is the time to break it again. That's right. Okay, so then what should become the guiding principles when I'm looking at successful transformation, whether it be digital or even non-digital? Yeah, so I think it starts with that mindset, as I said. So if the mindset is that uh, every single CXO in the boardroom <clears throat> is looking at their own piece of the, of the business and figuring out what kind of a role do I need to play? Do I need to be a Spock? Again, going back to my tra tra Star Trek Star analogy. Trek. Oh, you the, must the be a CTO, fan of the I grew up, you can tell from my age, okay. I grew up with, <laughs> with that. But, you know, it's, it's surprising that 12 of the gadgets that we thought in the 70s were like out of the world are commercial products today. 12 of the gadgets that were actually shown in Star Trek, for, starting from the Navigator, which was 2007, we had right. the iPhone. Right. Uh, so you had a whole lot of things that were innovative. And I keep, keep an eye out on what games kids are playing today, what kind of games are engaging their minds, what kind of things. Like today, an 18-month-old, you give them an iPhone or an iPad and they become the biggest babysitter on the planet. Right, the most, the cheapest right. babysitter on the planet. You right, can give it to a, well to a, a very young child. Correct. And what are you doing with that? What, what you're doing is that you're telling them about artificial intelligence and machine learning at the age of 18 months, mm -hmm. without using those words. Essentially, what they know is that with the swipe of a finger or with the touch of a screen, they know how to make the computer do what they want done. But does, if that mindset comes in the entire organization, right, not just in the C-level organization. I think you have it made if that mindset change can happen. But, but at the same time, I want, some people would say, oh, don't do that. Why would you do that? You, you miss the human interaction. You miss the other things that are part of that communication. Humans are not going to be taken out of the equation. I, I don't think that that is going to happen at all. I mean, even if you look at the best artificial intelligence systems, they are talking about a hybrid. They're always talking about a human made more intelligent by machines. Machines are getting more and more intelligent. There's, there's no doubt about that. AlphaGo is a, is a case in point. But like, for example, we work with a lot of hospitals, right? In the hospital system, you, can, you cannot replace the skill or the experience of a surgeon Correct. or a physician that is, you know, giving, giving the, the right of, care. The caring of or the nurse. caregiver, or the caregiver, right? However, you can make them more smart by giving them data and information at the point of care that they are physically, humanly impossible to, to get all that in one nugget. So is data, so. Is data at the core? Because let's, let's imagine I'm a, I, I am a C-suite executive, and I don't always know what, how to do it, what to do, or even if I need to do it. Correct. So, so what are, what's the right way to approach it? Let's say if, you are, if you're looking at uh, digital transformation, and if you're looking at, the, at your own industry, at your own uh, you know, business, there are three areas that you should, you should be looking at. You should be looking at how your customers 
are engaging with your enterprise, how they are consuming your products, how they are looking at engaging with your call centers, for example, how they are looking at engaging with your, like I heard uh, uh, yep. Peter Friedman talk about uh, call centers and chatbots and, and how you, you, your, your whole trans, how you're transforming the experience that the customer is getting. That's one big piece of digital transformation, but that's not the only piece. So that piece is telling you that if you are engaging with the customer where they are, when they are, how they are, mm -hmm. right? And whichever device they want to sort of support. For example, Netflix streams to 207 different types of uh, devices. Streams to 207 different types of devices. Why? Because they have an infrastructure underlying. That's the second key, which is do you have the right kind of infrastructure? Do you have the right kind of playbook by which digital can be implemented? So you have the right kind of integrations with. So the way I say is that the experiences need to be immediate. They need to be interconnected and they need to be with the community. If you have those kind of experiences that you build for your for your customers, I think you are in the game from the point of view of not being dis disrupted. So, so how There's, do you help yeah. companies or how would you tell C-suite leaders to be more forward thinking when it comes to this? So that's why I said, so this is the first piece, which is engaging with your customers. The second piece is engaging with your employees. Now, today, if you look at the employees that are in most enterprises, they are millennials or Gen Zers, right? Mm -hmm. So both of these are used to consumer interfaces with products right? Just because I swipe a card that the company gave me and I came into the office doesn't make me a different person. As an employee, I'm not a different person than being a, a consumer. So I expect the same kind of consumer-like interfaces with my enterprise systems. So I walk into an enterprise and I have an ERP system and a supply chain system and a, uh, and a CRM system that's like a green screen with multiple, uh, you know, data points that are displayed at me. I... I feel a little disconnect, right? So if you really want to make your employees most productive, if you want to make them happy, you want to provide the right kind of interfaces for your internal systems as well. So that's the second part of the puzzle, which is how are you creating systems and, and information that your, your uh, employees can make the best decisions in favor of the customers in the right possible time frame and in the right way. I'll give you one example. So for example, uh, there is a call center company that we are working with. So call center calls, right? If you call an AT&T call center, you will say, they will say you are in the line, you are in the queue, and they will you're the typically- third one, two minutes, correct. one minute. And they'll typically keep routing those calls by first in, first out as the only algorithm that they use. So you're first in, you will be the first person to be getting the call center agent when the call center agent gets free. So there's a database of call center agents and they get a database of calling users. That's how the mapping happens. So I'll give you one example. So there is this customer of ours, uh, who had a massive data warehouse. You know what a data warehouse yeah, is? Like companies yeah. like Teradata and sure. uh, NetEase uh, that IBM bought. So it cost millions of dollars, 15, 16, 20 million dollars to put a data warehouse. So they put all their data in this data warehouse so that they can run analytics on it and draw some intelligence of it. Now comes Amazon Web Services and now comes Google Cloud Platform. The same kind of a complex query that we would have, we would have been running on their on-prem database or, or data warehouse which would have taken them 14, 15 hours to process because it's a complex query, takes seconds on the Google Cloud platform and costs six cents per query, as opposed to putting all this infrastructure, putting all this stuff together. A WhatsApp is run by seven people, right? And sold for $27 billion, right? Run by seven people, just mark my words. So what is the cost of actually adopting this technology? It's all out there. It's there on the cloud. It's there as a service. Yeah. You take it and you go to market. The amount of time and money it takes to go to market with a product or a service today 
is like a fraction, like a than, than what it used to be. It used to, it used infinitesimally to take small. Years. In, in, in and years. years it used to take. It used to, take used to write business plans. I mean, I grew up in, in the 70s and the 80s where people would write these massive business plans, go to the bank or the, the, the funding agency back in India, and then they would get funded. So do those yeah. services then become, or does, does, does one need a data architect then? You may need a data architect, you may not, because I think it, it essentially depends on what kind of business that you're trying to disrupt, right? Essentially, if you are in a, if you're a Fortune 500 company and you are making a product, right, you've got to be aware of the kind of technologies that are impacting that product. But more importantly, you also got to be aware of whether that product itself is the right product for the market. And can there be other products that could be digitally enabled that will disrupt your product market space? And that's the, that's the key. So what kind of a new product can you launch? What kind of a new service can you launch with all this paraphernalia that's available to you at a fraction of the cost of the, of the past is the key. So if you can keep an eye out, if, if the Spock in your team can keep an eye out for what else is new, right? And if somebody can really come back and say, okay, uh, can I run this? Can I build this? Can I take it off? Now, typically what ends up happening is technology has become in the past, like in the last 30, 40 years, technology or software particularly has always been used as an enabler of the business, not as a determinant of the business. But today there is a marked distinction that software is actually becoming a determinant of the business. Well, in some cases, maybe even a limitation of the business, right? It could be a limitation of the business, but again, same thing, right? It is determining whether you're successful or not successful. Mm -hmm. So if it is a limitation, then you're racing down to extinction, right? Either you disrupt for extinction or, or to prevent from going to an extinction mode, or you disrupt to be able to go into a new market. So, so, so given given that term, this, yeah. you know, in terms of extinction, are there segments or sectors that are having a difficult time making that transformation? Absolutely, absolutely. So some of them, like for example, and it's not because of lack of knowledge, lack of technology, or lack of understanding, or lack of money. I think it is mainly because there are certain sectors, like for example, healthcare. I work very deeply in healthcare and in banking. And both these sectors, they're mired in all kinds of regulations and compliance, and you're dealing with people's lives. So you can't be you know, making a bad decision there, right? So when a decision support system needs to be built for a physician, for example, that needs to ensure, that you need to ensure that it goes through all the checks and balances that are required. Mm -hmm. So those are the reasons why some of these, although they are aware of the technologies involved, although they are aware of, uh, or, and they also have the mindset that I talked about of digital transformation, the CMOs, the chief medical officers, and the uh, CIOs in these hospital systems, they are loath to just jump in and dive on the deep end, right? They want to try things before they buy. So that's the delay that happens. But disruption, absolutely, it will happen. And adoption of new technology, absolutely, they will do it. But the timing is the question. Where, where, where are we going to look at 10 years from now to say these are the kinds of businesses that we would never have thought and if you tell me today, I'm going to say you're crazy. I, I, am, I am going back to Star Trek again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Beam me up. You, 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 you got to get cable and watch more shows. Okay. No. Oh, it's all in my head. All right. <laughs> this is my cable. So beam me up, Scotty, is yep. probably going to happen sooner, rather yep. than, sooner than you think. And tr transforming okay. some, some innate object. Physical to a uh, you think it'll you know, be humans? Holo HoloLens based. I don't you know. think it'll be humans. Uh, it could be. But anyway, dogs for sure. But yeah, I'm okay just getting the groceries from the car to the inside of the house would be great. <laughs> right. That'd be cool. So here's, the, here's, here's my way of looking at it. The technology exists today for you to be able to walk to a wall in your house, which is your banking wall, for example, and ask the wall, 
tell me your last, my last five transactions and, and send $5,000 to my mom in Mumbai in India. Technology exists today, mm-hmm. right? You could walk to another wall in your house, which is your social wall, and say to the wall, hey, I'm going to go to Dallas for this C-suite event. Tell me the, the people that I haven't connected it with in, my, in, in the last three months. And it pops open all the LinkedIn connections that you haven't touched base with, checks with your calendar, and tells you that these are the five people that you could potentially meet, and they are in the close vicinity of Tower, so you could probably you know, go meet with them after the event or before the event. Incidentally, I met with three of them today in the morning. So the interfaces of how technology, in my mind, will just become like electricity. It's to be felt and you know, not, energy not seen, of energy of some sort, right? Which is there. It's there. The, com- the compute energy is there. The, s- the cost of compute, the cost of storage has become so small, so small. Why, can, why is Google able to offer that query for six cents on a, uh, per query, which would have taken uh, millions of dollars infrastructure and 15 hours to process in the past, is because of the cost coming down drastically. And of course, obviously, in a very innovative company like Google, you know, coming up with all these technologies. There's going to be 50 billion connected devices. We call it the, today we call it the internet of people, but it's going to be the internet of everything. So 50 billion billion connected devices as opposed to 6 billion people. And you start looking at it and say, okay, these machines are not only going to collect data and capture it and analyze it and all that, but they're also going to talk to each other. So the day is not far that you'll have, machines are getting more and more intelligent. They're getting smarter by the day, by the hour. And people are using or putting machines to use that they have never, ever felt the need for. Brand brand new ways of thinking of it. Uber, you mentioned about Uber or, you know, Lyft or whoever, whichever of the services. There are six technologies that had to have been invented and perfected, like GPS, mapping services, you know, cars. Easy credit card services. Credit cards, payment services. All of these had to have been invented before an Uber could happen. But you look at the confluence of forces that happen now, right? Today, my uh, United Airlines app has an Uber integration. Yes. So it knows that my flight's going to be delayed, so my Uber call will be delayed. So once that that whole economy, I call it the API economy, and I, not just me, but many people call it the API economy, where people, well, things will things that are not in your control as an enterprise, that are outside your control, but are interconnected with your systems. And smart services. And smart services. And those are the ways in which people are going to market. So you bring all of those two things together and another Uber can happen very quickly, right? In manufacturing and this machine to machine thing, it's not inconceivable. Today, you know, you have, uh, uh, you know, you have uh, um, drones striking a precise target in a cave in Afghanistan, right? With someone sitting, once, with some 19-year-old kid sitting in, a, in an army base in the U.S., 5,000, 6,000 miles away, if they're able to do that, there is some merit to the, the, the kind of technology that can come into, into our homes where we can control everything with one device or we can control everything with our voice. So those are the, those are the sort of ways in which you know, this is going to evolve. Which so takes, no, nobody can stop us. And even in that example, as, as severe as it could be, it also takes a number of people out of harm's way. Exactly terms of being able to, to serve the country. Let, so, me, let me ask you, is there any one particular industry that you see that's doing this fastest than any others? I mean, you work with a lot of companies that persistent that... Well, I think the finance industry, and if you look at all the high-frequency trading and the kind of technology adoption, I mean, today, quants on Wall Street are paid almost 3x the amount of money that uh, you know traders were paid. And traders, we used to look up to them. When, we, when I graduated from business school, it was like, oh, 
you want to be a trader on Wall Street because you'll make tons of money. But today, the quants are getting paid 3x the amount of money that, they, that the traders are being paid. So no longer is it about knowing the industry, knowing the business. It's not about, you know, uh, Gordon Gecko and, you know, yeah. going into the airline workshop and knowing the people. It's about just understanding how the, the interfaces are and how data is analyzed and making a split decision, which you don't make, the machine makes it for you. It's that kind of a world. So, so that's, I think, the industry that is taking off the fastest. And of course, the military, I mean, which is, yeah, which goes is without saying. Unbelievable. The, so let me ask you a question as we wrap up here. Yeah. The, the, there's a lot of risk and risk levels with digital transformation. Yes. And it's a gamble. It seems to be a gamble. I, I think you can mitigate some of the risk, but how would you help folks here and in the C-suite adjust the mindset around the gamble that you have to take? There? I don't think it's a gamble at all. I think people know their business very well, and people can really understand what is the data that is driving their business. What are the digital technologies that are driving their business or their products in the future? And what kind of sensors and so I call it the, the, the three to tango, the data, digital, and IoT, is going to transform their business for sure. They just need to sit down and figure out and spend some time in, in figuring out what that step is going to be. And it's not a, a one-size-fits-all kind of a model. It has to be continuously revived and revamped. And, you know, it's like uh, uh, rinse and repeat. What is, that's the phrase, mm -hmm. right? Rinse and yeah, repeat. Yes. So it's the rinse and repeat that needs to happen. So the C-suite has to be cognizant of the fact that it's not just about knowing what technology it is that I need to bring in and bring that technology, spend millions of dollars, and I'm done. I'm never going to be done. That's the first mindset. And secondly, I had to keep that, that horizon of decision-making. It used to be we used to make five-year plans for a business. Then we started making three-year plans for a business. I think today it's annual plans revised quarterly. At least in my business, that's how it is. I don't know how it is in your business, but that's how it is. Annual plans revised quarterly. That's the mindset change that, that has to happen. If that happens, I think you can actually future-proof your business by making sure that you're completely aware of what's going on in the rest of the world around so, you. So not a gamble. It's really an investment and part of the investment you need to do in order to be successful in your transformation. Correct. It is part of that investment, part of that process change, part of that mindset change. And you've got to trust the millennial generation and the Gen Zers in your organization. Most of the decision makers and the, and the key C-suite occupants in, in today's Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 companies are people my age or above, right? And, and we are not the best decision makers from the point of view of understanding how a consumer is going to consume our products, right? So we got to get a lot more of the younger generation into the C-suite, if you will, at least by way of being consultants to, to understand what exactly needs to be done. Many people, many cu customers that I speak with, every single place that I, that, I, that I see that not being done, I recommend that we should, we should do that. Whether it's focus groups or whether it is, you know, you know just, just, just doing surveys, get people involved. And I think that will charge up and energize the base. And that's what you need. I love the diversity of thought. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you all business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Brought to you by C-Suite Radio. A podcast network featuring today's top business experts. And is part of the C-Suite Network. The world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I'll tell you what I learned from this show. 
this guy is smart. Not only is he smart, but digital transformation is here for everybody. I don't care how small your business is or how big. Certainly big, you better be in it. But small, you better be in it even more so because you got to get ready. You got to get ready for what's coming and it's a big steam engine coming your way. And so you've got to get ahead of this. You got to learn about ClickFunnels. You got to learn about, uh, you know, Google AdWords. You got to learn about how to utilize all the tools that are out there at your, at your fingertips, because, you know, I'm watching some real agile and very smart people make tens and tens of thousands or millions of dollars a day just by getting with their digital transformation story and getting it implemented. So get your digital transformation butt in gear. That's what I learned. And uh, that's what's really awesome is the chance for all of us to be able to learn. Even old dogs like me can learn new tricks. So don't forget, I'm talking about tricks. Hey, help me do a favor. I don't know. I have the tricks, favor, same thing. Do me a favor and tell people that you heard about this podcast and that they should be listening. And you can find it right on C-Suite Radio. You can find it on iTunes and anywhere else you can hear a podcast. You've been listening to Jeffrey Hazlett on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.